Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to Radio Cloud Native from Mirantis. Every week, we break down tech news in the cloud native world and beyond. I'm Eric Gregory, and you're stuck with me today. My regular co-host, Nick Chase, is out, but he'll be back next time around. Since this is a solo show, we'll probably run a little shorter than usual today, but we've still got lots to cover this week, especially in the world of security. We've got a new report on undisclosed middleware installed by cloud providers, a new side channel attack called Hertzbleed, and a sky full of sunsets. Beautiful. Let's get started. So first up, the RSA Security Conference was last week, bringing together cybersecurity experts from across industry and government. Some of the most interesting news to emerge from the conference came from the cloud security company Wiz, whose researchers presented findings on secret middleware installed by cloud service providers. Previously, Wiz reported on the open management infrastructure agent used by Azure, which was the vector for a remote code execution vulnerability called, oh my God. Now, Wiz researchers have dug deeper and they've found similar agents, secret agents, if you will, used across AWS and Google Cloud. So what exactly is happening here and why does it matter? According to Wiz's Nir Ofeld and Shir Tamari, quote, Cloud service providers install proprietary software on customers' virtual machines, typically without the customer's awareness or explicit consent. This cloud middleware software, which bridges customers' virtual machines and cloud providers' managed services, can introduce new potential attack surface unbeknownst to cloud customers due to the implicit manner in which it is installed. Moreover, when a new vulnerability is discovered in cloud middleware software and there is uncertainty about who's responsible for updating it, customers are left exposed to critical vulnerabilities, unquote. So in other words, when cloud customers enable certain features like log collection or auto updates, the providers quietly install little agents to make that happen. By all appearances, there's no particular malice or profit here for the providers. It's just flipping a switch to turn on a feature, and they don't feel a lot of need to tell us how that's happening behind the scenes in the same way that they don't walk us through the backend architecture of their web portals. But the problem is that unlike the web portal backend, these middleware agents live on the machines that make up your infrastructure. They're a component of your infrastructure and one that you don't know about. That means they create an attack surface that you also don't know about, one that you're not prepared to mitigate. So if you're a cloud customer, what can you do? Stay informed. Along with its presentation, Wiz launched a GitHub page to track all of the agents installed by cloud providers, which can be updated by the community at large. Right now, the best thing you can do is simply know about the additional attack surface and be prepared to act if a vulnerability is discovered. When Oh My God was uncovered and patched, Microsoft expected customers to patch their OMI agents, but you had to know about the agent in the first place to do so, right? Beyond that, it's kind of a reminder of some big picture realities and needs in the world of cloud. If they're gonna take security seriously, providers need to be a lot more transparent about exactly what is happening on customer machines, no matter how seemingly innocuous. And there's an urgent need for comprehensive software bills and materials in the cloud. And some things will just always need to be on-prem, especially when there are strict security and compliance requirements involved. Moving along, on June 14th, a group of researchers from the University of Texas at Austin, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and the University of Washington released a paper disclosing a side-channel attack they're calling Hertzbleed. In general, side-channel attacks derive sensitive information from physical indicators or side effects of computing, things like electromagnetic emissions, power consumption, even sound. 
And, you know, as abstracted as the digital world can feel, its operations are happening right here in space and time. And side channel attacks go deep to exploit that fact. They're like little Sherlock's noting the color of dirt on your boots and inferring exactly where you've been and who you were talking to and what you said. And suddenly they know a lot of uh, shocking and dangerous things about you based on some little giveaway detail. So this strategy exploits the dynamic frequency scaling feature used by processors to optimize power consumption. According to the research team, quote, under certain circumstances, periodic CPU frequency adjustments depend on the current CPU power consumption. And these adjustments directly translate to execution time differences as one hertz equals one cycle per second, unquote. Using this fact, the team demonstrated an attacker can extract advanced cryptographic keys and then it's all over but the crying. The team disclosed the vulnerability to Intel, AMD, Microsoft, and Cloudflare, and waited until now to publish publicly in compliance with an embargo request from Intel, which stretched out a couple of times. So are you affected? Yeah, probably. Intel has confirmed that all of their chips are affected, and AMD acknowledged a large set of impacted processors. According to Security Week, Microsoft and Cloudflare say they have, quote, implemented mitigations, unquote. Intel and AMD, meanwhile, have published advisories suggesting ways to harden cryptographic libraries, but ultimately this is a tough one. Neither company has released any firmware updates, probably because the problem here is pretty fundamental. The clearest workaround is to run with degraded performance. Intel also downplays how practical of a concern this is. In a blog for an Intel videocast, Intel's Jerry Bryant says, quote, while this issue is interesting from a research perspective, we do not believe this attack to be practical outside of a lab environment, unquote. That's something I think the researchers might um, dispute or at least suggest uh, you know, could change. So we'll see how that plays out. But this is definitely one to watch. Shifting gears, let's talk about tooling. MongoDB made some interesting announcements at its MongoDB World 2022 conference last week. Their new cluster-to-cluster -cluster sync feature will do pretty much what it says on the 10, continuously synchronize data between two clusters. That means you could have a dev environment that is synced up with production data in real time. The feature works across any combination of on-prem and managed Atlas clusters, and it's set to hit general availability in July. MongoDB also announced a column store indexing feature that represents a small but significant step into analytics. When configured correctly, this will enable users to run some heavier analytics jobs against the database without negatively impacting overall performance. That feature will be available later this year. Meanwhile, it's sunset for GitHub's Atom IDE. GitHub announced that the open source code editor will be retired to the great repository in the sky on December 15th of this year. In their announcement, GitHub unsurprisingly noted that now parent company Microsoft's VS Code has taken over a huge share of the IDE space and said that they intend to focus on, quote, bringing fast and reliable software development to the cloud via Microsoft Visual Studio Code and GitHub Code Spaces, unquote. We should take a moment to pour one out for Adam here because it was enormously influential. Beyond inspiring VS Code, it was the first Electron app and single-handedly gave rise to the Electron framework which enabled cross-platform app development using web technologies and serves as the basis for everyday apps that you probably have running on your computer right now, like Discord and Slack. Notably, founder of Adam Nathan Sobo is leading the development of a new code editor called Zed, like how you say Z if you're in England, which is written in Rust and emphasizes collaboration. 
The project is in private alpha now, and we'll be watching it with interest. It's also sunset for Internet Explorer, which after 26 years of dutiful service, after passing its burden to Microsoft Edge, is finally allowed to sail to the gray havens. Microsoft has been funneling users towards their Chromium-based Edge browser for years now, and the result is that less than half a percent of Internet users are currently running old-school Internet Explorer, which is built on the proprietary MSHTML engine. Half a percentage point is still a lot of people in real numbers, and support for those folks is ending now. According to Nikkei, that's causing a fair amount of consternation among Japanese organizations, where 49% of respondents to a recent poll said they used Internet Explorer for work. Some Japanese government services from agencies like the Pension Service can only be accessed reliably with Internet Explorer, so users will have to use the Internet Explorer compatibility mode in Edge. A consultant quoted by Nikkei says that it may take months for some Japanese organizations to transition. For their part, Microsoft says the IE compatibility mode will be maintained until, until at least 2029, so the spirit lives on for a little while. Rounding out our sunset theme for the day, Kubernetes giant Joe Beta announced on Twitter that today, June 15th, is his last day at VMware where he was working on Tanzu. This comes in the immediate wake of Broadcom's intended acquisition of VMware, but Beta says, quote, the Broadcom acquisition has nothing to do with this. I was planning this before that news hit and surprised me, unquote. For those who might not know his name, Beta was one of the founding developers of Kubernetes and authored an indispensable text on the topic, Kubernetes Up and Running, alongside Kubernetes co-founders Kelsey Hightower and Brendan Burns. Beta describes his move as, quote, a sort of retirement, question mark, unquote. Whatever the answer, we wish him the best. And like I said, it's a short one. It's sunset for today's episode as well. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to Nika Fay for producing. As always, you can join us live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern or listen in podcast form on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. See you next time.